Hello, wonderful people. How are you? Welcome back. It's a new week, new chapters. Um, same book as last week, though. Surprise. Um, we're doing Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. For anybody who doesn't like the intro bit, go ahead and skip forward until you see art. For everyone else, welcome. I'm going to do a quick summary of uh, the beginning of this book, and then we're going to get into it. As always, if at any point during the stream, you've got anything you'd like to talk about, anything you want to discuss, uh, interesting characters, new things we're finding out, go ahead and put it in chat. I would love to talk about it. So, um, last week, Harry's at home. Let's see where we're at. Hold on. Get into my art here. Oh, excuse me. I guess I can't do that because uh, we are using that as the signal. So, in the first chapter, um, there's an odd break. And this is actually something we haven't seen before in the Harry Potter series. Um, it's the first time they do it, and it's really interesting. The chapter is not from Harry Potter's point of view. It's from this guy Frank's point of view. Um, Frank the groundskeeper at the old Riddle Mansion, where Frank goes up to the old Riddle House and realizes there are intruders. Turns out it's Voldemort and it's Wormtongue, and the two of them are plotting to kill Harry Potter. Um, they talk about Wormtongue, um, and how Wormtongue helped Voldemort find someone. It's a woman we've never met before. Um, but uh, apparently, they've already murdered her together and gotten some information. She was a, uh, a ministry worker. But they discuss their plans to kill Harry Potter. Uh, Harry wakes up. It would appear that he has had some sort of inside knowledge about this event he sort of dreamed about it and he spends a little while thinking who is he going to talk to about this it doesn't seem right to go to dumbledore it doesn't seem important enough he knows what his friends would say he realizes he wishes he had some sort of parental figure it's not like he's going to go to the dursleys and he remembers sirius black he writes to sirius and feels much better for having done it in the third chapter um we get uh, a letter. Um, uh, this is addressed to the Dursleys. It's an introduction from the Weasleys saying, you know, I'm sure you've heard all about us from Harry, but uh, we'd like to take him for the end of the summer holidays and take him to the Quidditch World Cup. Harry, of course, is in super enthusiastic about this. Obviously, he wants to go. Um, he has a bit of a spat with Uncle Vernon about it, but he wins in the end because he mentions Sirius Black, his godfather, uh, godfather, wizard, escaped murderer, madman. So they allow him to go. Ron gets uh, Ron sends another letter that says, "Look, we're coming to get you either way, so be ready at this time." Harry determines he shall be, and that is where we are. Again, um, if anybody isn't interested in the 
uh, intro version, go ahead and skip until you no longer are looking at this screen, but you see uh, art in front of you. So that's where we're at. We're going to get started. Chapter four, back to the burrow. By 12 o'clock the next day, Harry's school trunk was packed with his school things and all of his most prized possessions. The invisibility cloak that he had inherited from his father, the broomstick he had gotten from Sirius, the enchanted map of Hogwarts he had been given by Fred and George Weasley last year. He had emptied his hiding place underneath the loose floorboard of all of the food, double-checked every nook and cranny of his bedroom for forgotten spellbooks or quills, and taken down the chart on the wall counting down the days until September the 1st, on which he liked to cross off the days remaining until his return to Hogwarts. The atmosphere inside Number 4, Privet Drive, was extremely tense. The imminent arrival at their house of an assortment of wizards was making the Dursleys uptight and irritable. Uncle Vernon looked downright alarmed when Harry informed him that the Weasleys would be arriving at 5 o'clock the very next day. I hope you told them to dress properly, these people, he snarled at once. I've seen the sort of stuff your lot wear. They'd better have the decency to put on normal clothes, that's all. Harry felt a sense of foreboding. He had rarely seen Mr. or Mrs. Weasley wearing anything that the Dursleys would call normal. Their children might don muggle clothing during the holidays, but... Mr. and Mrs. Weasley usually wore long robes in varying states of shabbiness. Harry wasn't bothered about what the neighbors would think, but he was anxious about how rude the Dursleys might be to the Weasleys if they turned up looking like their worst idea of wizards. Uncle Vernon had put on his best suit. To some people, this might have looked like a gesture of welcome, but Harry knew... It was because Uncle Vernon wanted to look impressive and intimidating. Dudley, on the other hand, looked somehow diminished. This was not because the diet was at last taking effect, but due to fright. Dudley had emerged from his last encounter with a fully grown wizard with a curly pig's tail poking out of the seat of his trousers, and Aunt Petunia and Uncle Vernon had had to pay for its removal at a private hospital in London. It wasn't altogether surprising, therefore, that Dudley kept running his hand nervously over his backside, walking sideways from room to room so as not to present the same target to the enemy. Lunch was an almost silent meal. Dudley didn't even protest at the food, cottage cheese and grated celery. Aunt Petunia wasn't eating anything at all. Her arms were folded, her lips were pursed, and she seemed to be chewing her tongue, as though biting back the furious diatribe she longed to throw at Harry. They'll be driving, of course, Uncle Vernon barked across the table. Um, said Harry. He hadn't thought of that. How were the Dursleys going to pick him up? They didn't have a car anymore. The old Ford Anglia they had once owned was currently running wild in the Forbidden Forest at Hogwarts. But Mr. Weasley had borrowed a ministry car last year. Possibly he would do the same today? 
I think so, said Harry. <laughs> Uncle Vernon snorted into his mustache. Normally, Uncle Vernon would have asked what car Mr. Weasley drove. He tended to judge other people. Excuse me. He tended to judge other men by how big and expensive their cars were. But Harry doubted whether Uncle Vernon would have taken to Mr. Weasley even if he drove a Ferrari. Harry spent most of the afternoon in his bedroom. He couldn't stand watching Aunt Petunia peer through the net curtains every few seconds, though there had been a warning about an escaped rhinoceros. Finally, at a quarter to five, Harry went back downstairs and into the living room. Aunt Petunia was compulsively straightening cushions. Uncle Vernon was pretending to read the paper, but his tiny eyes were not moving, and Harry was sure he was really listening with all his might for the sound of an approaching car. Dudley was crammed into an armchair, his porky hands beneath him, clapped, clamped firmly around his bottom. Harry couldn't take the tension. He left the room and went and sat on the stairs in the hall, his eyes on his watch, his heart pumping fast from excitement and nerves. But five o'clock came and then went. Uncle Vernon, perspiring slightly in his suit, opened the front door, peered up and down the street, then withdrew, then withdrew his head quickly. They're late, he snarled at Harry. I know, said Harry. Uh, maybe uh, the traffic's bad or something. Ten past five. Then a quarter past five. Harry was starting to feel anxious himself now. At half past, he heard Uncle Vernon and Aunt Petunia conversing in tense mutters in the living room. No consideration at all. We might have had an engagement. Maybe they'll think they'll get invited for dinner if they're late. Well, they most certainly won't be, said Uncle Vernon, and Harry heard him stand up and start pacing the living room. I'll take the boy and go. There will be no hanging around. That if they're coming at all. They're probably mistaken the day, I dare say. Their kind don't set much store by punctuality. Either that or they... Drive some tin-pot car that's broken down and... Ah! Harry jumped up. From the other side of the living room door came the sounds of the three Dursleys scrambling, panic-stricken, across the room. Next moment, Dudley came flying into the hall, looking terrified. What happened? said Harry. What's the matter? But Dudley didn't seem to be able to speak. Hands still clamped over his buttocks, he waddled as fast as he could into the kitchen. Harry hurried into the living room. Loud bangings and scrapings were coming from behind the Dursleys' boarded-up fireplace, which had a fake coal fire plugged in front of it. "'What's this?' gasped Aunt Petunia, who had backed into the wall and was staring, terrified, toward the fire. "'What is it, Vernon?' But they were left in doubt barely a second longer. Voices could be heard coming from inside the blocked fireplace. Ouch! Fred! 
No, no, go back, go back. There's been some sort of mistake. Tell George not to... Ouch! George! No, there's no room. Go back quickly and tell Ron. Maybe Harry can hear us, Dad. Maybe he'll be able to get us out. There was a loud hammering of fists on the boards behind the electric fire. Harry! Harry, can you hear us? The Dursleys rounded on Harry like a pair of angry wolverines. What is this? growled Uncle Vernon. What's going on? They've... they've tried to get here by flu powder, said Harry, fighting a mad desire to laugh. They can travel by fire, only you've bo blocked the fireplace. Hold on. He approached the fireplace and called through the boards. Mr. Weasley? Can you hear me? The hammering stopped. Somebody inside the chimney piece said, Shh! Mr. Weasley, it's Harry! The fireplace has been boarded up. You won't be able to get through there. Damn! said Mr. Weasley's voice. What on earth do they want to block up the fireplace for? They've got an electric fire, Harry explained. Really? said Mr. Weasley's voice excitedly. Eclectic, you say? With a plug? Gracious, I must see that. Let's think. Ouch, Ron! Ron's voice now joined the others. What are we doing here? Has something gone wrong? Oh no, Fred. <laughs> oh no, Ron. Came Fred's voice, very sarcastically. No, this is exactly where we wanted to end up. Yeah, we're having the time of our lives here, said George whose voice sounded muffled, as though he were being squashed against the wall. "'Boys, boys,' said Mr. Weasley vaguely, "'I'm trying to think what to do.' "'Yes, uh, only way. Stand back, Harry.' Harry retreated to the sofa. Uncle Vernon, however, moved forward. "'Wait a moment!' he bellowed at the fire. "'What exactly are you going to—' Bang. The electric fire shot across the room as the boarded-up fireplace burst outward, expelling Mr. Weasley, Fred, George, and Ron in a cloud of rubble and loose chippings. Aunt Petunia shrieked and fell backward over the coffee table. Uncle Vernon caught her before she hit the floor, and gaped, speechless, at the Weasleys, all of whom had bright red hair, including Fred and George, who were identical to the last freckle. Oh! <laughs> That's better, panted Mr. Weasley, brushing dust from his long green robes and straightening his glasses. Ah, you must be Harry's aunt and uncle. Tall, thin, and balding, he moved toward Uncle Vernon, his hand outstretched. But Uncle Vernon backed away several paces, dragging Aunt Petunia. Words utterly failed Uncle Vernon. His best suit was covered in white dust, which had settled in his hair and mustache and made him look as though he had just aged thirty years. Uh, yes, sorry about that, said Mr. Weasley, lowering his hand and looking over his shoulder at the blasted fireplace. It's all my fault. Just uh, didn't occur to me that we wouldn't be able to get out the other side. I had your fireplace connected to the flu network, you see. Just for an afternoon, you know, so we could get Harry. 
Muggle fireplaces aren't supposed to be connected, strictly speaking, but I've got a useful contact at the flu regulation panel, and he fixed it up for me. I can put it right in a jiffy, though, don't worry. I'll light a fire, send the boys back, and then I can repair your fireplace before I disapparate. Harry was ready to bet that the Dursleys hadn't understood a single word of this. They were still gaping at Mr. Weasley, thunderstruck. Aunt Petunia staggered upright again and hid behind Uncle Vernon. Hello, Harry, said Mr. Weasley brightly. Have you got your trunk ready? It's upstairs, said Harry, grinning back. We'll get it. Oh, excuse me. We'll get it, said Fred at once. Winking at Harry, he and George left the room. They knew where Harry's bedroom was, having once rescued him from, in, from it in the dead of night. Harry suspected that Fred and George were hoping for a glimpse of Dudley. They had heard a lot about him from Harry. Well, said Mr. Weasley, swinging his arms slightly while he tried to find the words to break the very nasty silence. Very, uh, very nice place you've got here. The usually spotless living room was now covered in dust and bits of brick, and this remark didn't go down too well with the Dursleys. Uncle Vernon's face purpled once more, and Aunt Petunia started chewing her tongue again. However, they seemed too scared to actually say anything. Mr. Weasley was looking around. He loved everything to do with muggles. Harry could see him itching to go and examine the television and the video recorder. They run off electricity, do they? He said knowledgeably. Ah, uh, yes, I can see the plugs. I collect plugs, he added to Uncle Vernon. And batteries. Got a very large collection of batteries. My wife thinks I'm mad, but there you are. Uncle Vernon clearly thought Mr. Weasley was mad, too. He moved ever so slightly to the right, screening Aunt Petunia from view as though he thought Mr. Weasley sight as though he thought Mr. Weasley might suddenly run at them and attack. Dudley suddenly reappeared in the room. Harry could hear the clunk of his trunk on the stairs, and he knew that the sounds had scared Dudley out of the kitchen. Dudley edged along the wall, gazing at Mr. Weasley with terrified eyes, and attempted to conceal himself behind his mother and father. Unfortunately, Uncle Vernon's bulk, while sufficient to hide bony Aunt Petunia, was nowhere near enough to conceal Dudley. "'Ah! Is this your cousin, then, is it, Harry?' said Mr. Weasley, taking another brave stab at making conversation. "'Yep,' said Harry. "'That's Dudley.' He and Ron exchanged glances and then quickly looked away from each other. The temptation to burst out laughing was almost overwhelming. Dudley was still clutching his bottom as though afraid it might fall off. Mr. Weasley, however, seemed genuinely concerned at Dudley's peculiar behavior. Indeed, from the tone of his voice when he next spoke, Harry was quite sure that Mr. Weasley thought Dudley had gone quite as mad as the Dursleys thought he was, except that Mr. Weasley felt sympathy rather than fear. 
Are you having a good holiday, Dudley? He said kindly. Dudley whimpered. We saw his hands tighten still harder over his massive backside. Fred and George came back into the room carrying Harry's school trunk. They glanced around as they entered and spotted Dudley. Their faces cracked into identical evil grins. All right, said Mr. Weasley. Better get cracking then. He pushed up the sleeves of his robes and took out his wand. Harry saw the Dursleys draw back into the. Harry saw the Dursleys draw back against the wall as one. Incendio, said Mr. Weasley, pointing his wand at the hole in the wall behind him. Flames rose at once in the fireplace, crackling merrily, as though they had been burning for hours. Mr. Weasley took a small drawstring bag from his pocket, untied it, took a pinch of the powder inside, and threw it into the flames, which turned emerald green and soared higher than ever. "'Off you go, then, Fred,' said Mr. Weasley. "'Coming,' said Fred. "'Oh, no! Hang on!' A bag of sweets had spilled out of Fred's pocket, and the contents were now rolling in every direction. Big, fat toffees in brightly colored wrappers. Fred scrambled around, cramming them back into his pocket, then gave the Dursleys a cheery wave, stepped forward, and walked right into the fire, saying, The burrow! Aunt Petunia gave a little shuddering gasp. There was a whooshing sound, and Fred vanished. Right then, George, said Mr. Weasley. You and the trunk... Harry helped George carry the trunk forward into the flames and turn it onto its end so he could hold it better. Then, with a second whoosh, George had cried, The burrow! and vanished too. Ron, you next, said Mr. Weasley. See ya, said Ron brightly to the Dursleys. He grinned broadly at Harry, then stepped into the fire, shouted, The burrow! and disappeared. Now Harry and Mr. Weasley alone remained. Well, bye then, Harry said to the Dursleys. They didn't say anything at all. Harry moved toward the fire, but just as he reached the edge of the hearth, Mr. Weasley put out a hand and held him back. He was looking at the Dursleys in amazement. Harry said goodbye to you, he said. Didn't you hear him? It doesn't matter, Harry muttered to Mr. Weasley. Honestly, I don't care. Mr. Weasley did not remove his hand from Harry's shoulder. You aren't going to see your nephew till next summer, he said to Uncle Vernon in mild indignation. Surely you're going to say goodbye. Uncle Vernon's face worked furiously. The idea of being taught consideration by a man who had just blasted away half of his living room wall seemed to be causing him intense suffering. But Mr. Weasley's wand was still in his hand, and Uncle Vernon's tiny eyes darted to it once before he said, very resentfully, Goodbye, then. See you, said Harry, 
putting one foot forward into the green flames, which felt pleasantly like a warm bath. At that moment, however, a horrible gagging sound erupted behind him, and Aunt Petunia started to scream. Harry wheeled around. Dudley was no longer standing behind his parents. He was kneeling beside the coffee table, and he was gagging and spluttering on a foot-long, purple, slimy thing that was protruding from his mouth. One second later, one bewildered second later, Harry realized that the foot-long thing was Dudley's tongue, and that a massive, uh, and that a brightly colored toffee wrapper lay on the floor before him. Aunt Petunia hurled herself onto the ground beside Dudley, seized the end of his swollen tongue, and attempted to wrench it out of his mouth. Unsurprisingly, Dudley yelled and spluttered worse than before, trying to fight her off. Uncle Vernon was bellowing and waving his arms around, and Mr. Weasley had shot, had to shout to make himself heard. "'No worry! I can salt him out!' he yelled. Advancing on Dudley with his wand outstretched, but Aunt Petunia screamed worse than ever and threw herself on top of Dudley, shielding him from Mr. Weasley. "'No, really,' said Mr. Weasley desperately. "'It's a simple process. It was the toffee. My son Fred, a real practical joker, but it's only an engorgement charm. At least I think it is. Please, I can correct it. But far from being reassured, the Dursleys became more panic-stricken. Aunt Petunia was sobbing hysterically, tugging Dudley's tongue as though determined to rip it out. Dudley appeared to be suffocating under the combined pressure of his mother and his tongue, and Uncle Vernon, who had lost control completely, seized a china figure from the top of the sideboard and threw it very hard at Mr. Weasley, who ducked, causing the ornament to shatter on the blasted fireplace. "'Now, really,' said Mr. Weasley angrily, brandishing his wand. I'm trying to help! Bellowing like a wounded hippo, Uncle Vernon snatched up another ornament. Harry, just go! Go! Mr. Weasley shouted, his wand on Uncle Vernon. I'll sort this out! Harry did not want to miss the fun, but Uncle Vernon's second ornament narrowly missed his left ear, and on balance he thought it best to leave the situation to Mr. Weasley. He stepped into the fire, looking over his shoulder as he said, The burrow! His last fleeting glimpse of the living room was of Mr. Weasley blasting the third ornament out of Uncle Vernon's hand with his wand, Aunt Petunia screaming and lying on top of Dudley, and Dudley's tongue lolling around like a great slimy python. But next moment... Harry had take but next moment Harry had begun to spin very fast, and the Dursley's living room was whipped out of sight in a rush of emerald green flames. That's the end of chapter one. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> the first chapter for the night, chapter four. Back to the library with us. All right. For anybody who doesn't know what's going on here, my name is Sam, this is Sidecar Stories, and as always, between chapters, I'm going to take a quick break. I'll be back in five minutes, and uh, in the meantime, if you have put anything in chat that you'd like to talk about, I would love to talk about it when I come back. Otherwise, I'll give it a quick summary, 
um, of what uh, we just read, essentially, and then we will be on to chapter five. Thank you all very much for watching, and I'll see you in just a moment. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. Y'all ready for another chapter? All right, quick summary of what happened last chapter. Again, as always, go ahead and skip to the art if you uh, don't like the summary bit. Um, the Weasleys came to pick up Harry. It was an absolute nightmare mess. They don't know how fires work in uh, muggle society, especially when the particular muggles are afraid of the fire because they've had experiences with wizards in the past. Um, as a matter of fact, one of them, Dudley, uh, has come out the worse on both occasions that he's met wizards. So, not a chance he's going to be happy with Harry around in the future. This time, uh, some candy has inflated his tongue up massively. Rough break for him. But he's a jerk, so... No, that's not a good attitude to have. As always, if you've got anything you'd like to talk about, go ahead and put it in chat. Otherwise, I'm going to proceed on to the next chapter. Um, even if I'm reading, go ahead and put it in chat. Um, <clears throat> we're short a Rachel today. That's all right. She's doing fun things, and I hope she's having a fantastic time. So, let us begin with Chapter 5. Chapter 5. Weasley's Wizard Wheezes. Harry spun faster and faster, elbows tucked tightly into his sides, blurred fireplaces flashing past him, until he started to feel sick and closed his eyes. Then, when at last he felt himself slowing down, he threw out his hands and came to a halt in time to prevent himself falling face forward out of the Weasley's kitchen fire. Did he eat it? said Fred excitedly, holding out a hand to pull Harry to his feet. Yeah, said Harry, straightening up. What was it? Tun-tung toffee, said Fred brightly. George and I invented them. We've been looking for someone to test them on all summer. The tiny kitchen exploded with laughter. Harry looked around and saw that Fred and George... Mm, Harry looked around and saw that Ron and George were sitting at the scrubbed wooden table with two red-haired people Harry had never seen before though he knew immediately who they must be. Bill and Charlie, the two eldest Weasley brothers. And I'm trying to remember the voices that I gave to these gentlemen. Let me see. I know one of them was... How you doing, Harry? said the nearer of the two, grinning at him and holding out a large hand, which Harry shook, feeling calluses and blisters under his fingers. This had to be Charlie, who worked with dragons in Romania. Charlie was built like the twins, shorter and stockier than Percy and Ron, who were both long and lanky. He had a broad, good-natured face, which was weather-beaten and so freckly that he looked almost tanned. His arms were muscular, and one of them had a large, shiny burn on it. Bill got to his feet, smiling, and also shook Harry's hand. Bill came as something of a surprise. Harry knew that he worked for the Wizarding Bank, Gringotts, and that Bill had been head boy at Hogwarts. Harry had always imagined Bill to be an older version of Percy, fussy about rule-breaking and fond of bossing everyone around. However, Bill was... 
There was no other word for it. Cool. He was tall, with long hair that he had tied back in a ponytail. He was wearing an earring with what looked like a fang dangling from it. Bill's clothes could not have looked more... Uh, oh, excuse me. Bill's clothes would not have looked out of place at a rock concert, except that Harry recognized his boots to be made not of leather, but of dragonhide. Before any of them could say anything else, there was a faint popping noise, and Mr. Weasley appeared out of thin air at Ron's shoulder. He was looking angrier than Harry had ever seen him. That wasn't funny, Fred! He shouted. What on earth did you give that muggle boy? I didn't give him anything, said Fred, with another evil grin. I just dropped it. It was his fault he went and ate it. I never told him to. You dropped it on purpose, roared Mr. Weasley. You knew he'd eat it, and you knew he was on a diet. How big did his tongue get? George asked eagerly. It was four feet long before his parents would let me shrink it. Harry and the Weasleys roared with laughter again. This isn't funny, Mr. Weasley shouted. That sort of behavior seriously undermines wizard-muggle relations. I spent half my life campaigning against the mistreatment of muggles and my own sons. We didn't give it to him because he's a muggle, said Fred indignantly. No, we gave it to him because he's a great bullying git, said George. Isn't he, Harry? Yeah, he is, Mr. Weasley, said Harry earnestly. That's not the point, raged Mr. Weasley. You wait until I tell your mother. Tell me what, said a voice behind them. Mrs. Weasley had just entered the kitchen. She was a short, plump woman with a very kind face, though her eyes were presented though her eyes were presently narrowed with suspicion. "'Oh, hello, Harry, dear,' she said, spotting him and smiling. Then her eyes snapped back to her husband. "'Tell me what, Arthur?' Mr. Weasley hesitated. Harry could tell that, however angry he was with Fred and George, he hadn't really intended to tell Mrs. Weasley what had happened. There was a silence, while Mr. Weasley eyed his wife nervously. Then two girls appeared in the kitchen doorway behind Mrs. Weasley. One, with very bushy brown hair and rather large front teeth, was Harry and Ron's friend, Hermione Granger. The other, who was small and red-haired, was Ron's younger sister, Ginny. Both of them smiled at Harry, who grinned back, which made Ginny go scarlet. She had been very taken with Harry ever since his first visit to the burrow. "'Tell me what, Arthur?' Mrs. Weasley repeated, in a dangerous sort of voice. "'It's nothing, Molly,' mumbled Mr. Weasley. "'Fred and George just—but I've had words with them. I... "'What have they done this time?' said Mrs. Weasley. "'If it's got anything to do with Weasley's wizard wheezes—' "'Why don't you show Harry where he's sleeping, Ron?' said Hermione from the doorway. He knows where he's sleeping, said Ron. In my room. He slept there last... We could all go, said Hermione pointedly. Oh, said Ron, cottoning on. Right. Yeah, we'll come too, said George. You'll stay where you are, 
snarled Mrs. Weasley. Harry and Ron edged out of the kitchen, and they, Hermione, and Ginny set off along the narrow hallway and up the rickety staircase that zigzagged through the house to the upper stories. What are Weasley's wizard wheezes? Harry asked as they climbed. Ron and Ginny both laughed, although Hermione didn't. Mum found this stack of order forms when she was cleaning Fred and George's room, said Ron quietly. Create long price lists for stuff they've invented. Joke stuff, you know. Fake wands and trick sweets. Loads of stuff. It was brilliant. I never knew they'd been inventing all that. We've been hearing explosions out of their room for ages, but we never thought they were actually making things, said Ginny. We thought they just lacked the noise. Only most of the stuff, well, all of it really, was a bit dangerous, said Ron. And, you know, they were planning to sell it at Hogwarts to make some money. Mum went mad at them. Told them they weren't allowed to make any more of it. Burned all the order forms. She's furious at them anyway. They didn't get as many owls as she suspected. Owls, O-W-L, were ordinary wizarding levels. The examinations Hogwarts students took at the age of 15. And then there was this big row, Ginny said, because Mum wants them to go into the Ministry of Magic like Dad. They told her they want to open up a joke shop. Just then a door on the second landing opened, and a face poked out wearing horn-rimmed glasses and a very annoyed expression. Hi, Percy, said Harry. Oh, hello, Harry said Percy. I was wondering who was making all that noise. I'm trying to work in here, you know. I've got a report to finish up for the office, and it's rather difficult to concentrate when people keep thundering up and down the stairs. We're not thundering, said Ron irritably. We're walking. Sorry if we disturb the top-secret workings of the Ministry of Magic. What are you working on? said Harry. A report for the Department of International Magical Cooperation, said Percy smugly. But trying to standardise cauldron thickness. Some of these foreign imports are just a shade too thin. Leakages have been increasing at a rate of almost 3% a year. That'll change the world, that report will, said Ron. Front page of the Daily Prophet, I think. Cauldron leaks. Percy went slightly pink. You might sneer, Ron, he said heatedly, but unless some sort of international law is imposed, we might find the market flooded with flimsy, shallow bottom products that seriously endanger. Yeah, all right, all right, said Ron, and he started off upstairs again. Percy slammed his bedroom door shut. Is her. As Harry, Hermione, and Ginny followed Ron up three more flights of stairs, Shouts from the kitchen below echoed up to them. It sounded as though Mr. Weasley had told Mrs. Weasley about the toffees. The room at the top of the house where Ron slept looked much the same as the last time Harry had been here. The same posters of Ron's favorite Quidditch team, the Chudley Cannons, were whirling and waving on the walls and sloping ceiling, and the fish tank on the windowsill, which had previously held frog spawn, now contained one extremely large frog. Ron's old rat, Scabbers, 
was here no more, but instead there was the tiny gray owl that had delivered Ron's letter to Harry in Privet Drive. It was hopping up and down in a small cage and twittering madly. Shut up, pig, said Ron, edging his way between two of the four beds that had been squeezed into the room. Fred and George are in here with us, because Bill and Charlie are in their room, he told Harry. Percy gets to keep his room all to himself, because he's got to work. Um, why are you calling that owl pig? Harry asked Ron. Because he's been stupid, said Jenny. His proper name is Pigwidgeon. <laughs> yeah, that's not a stupid name at all said Ron sarcastically. Ginny named him, he explained to Harry. Uh, she reckons it's sweet. I tried to change it, but it's too late. It won't answer to anything else. So now he's Pig. I've got to keep him up here because he annoys Errol. And Hermes. He annoys me too, come to that. Pigwidgeon zoomed happily around his cage, hooting shrilly. Harry knew Ron too well to take him seriously. He had moaned continually about his old rat Scabbers, but had been most upset when Hermione's cat, Crookshanks, appeared to have eaten him. Where's Crookshanks? Harry asked Hermione now. Out in the garden, I expect, she said. He likes chasing gnomes. Never seen any before. Percy's enjoying work, then, said Harry sitting down on one of the beds and watching the Chudley cannons zooming in and out of the posters on the ceiling. Enjoying it, said Ron darkly. I don't reckon he'd come home if Dad didn't make him. He's obsessed. Just don't get him on the subject of his boss. Oh, according to Mr. Crouch, as I was saying to Mr. Crouch, Mr. Crouch is of the opinion, Mr. Crouch was telling me, they'll be announcing their engagement any day now. Have you had a good summer, Harry? said Hermione. Did you get our food parcels and everything? Yes, thanks a lot, said Harry. They saved my life, those cakes. And have you heard from... Ron began, but at a look from Hermione he fell silent. Harry knew that Ron had been about to ask about Sirius. Ron and Hermione had been so deeply involved in helping Sirius escape from the Ministry of Magic that they were almost as concerned about Harry's godfather as he was. However, discussing him in front of Ginny was a bad idea. Nobody but themselves and Professor Dumbledore knew about Sirius and his escape, or believed in his innocence. I think they've stopped arguing, said Hermione, to cover the awkward moment because Ginny was looking curiously from Ron to Jerry. To Jerry, hello? <laughs> because Ginny was looking curiously from Ron to Harry. Oh boy, is Jerry the awful, like, ship name that people have given those two? Shall we go down and help your mum with dinner? Yeah, all right, said Ron. The four of them left Ron's room and went back downstairs to find Mrs. Weasley alone in the kitchen looking extremely bad-tempered. "'We're eating out in the garden,' she said when they came in. "'There's just not room for eleven people in here. Could you take the plates outside, girls? 
Bill and Charlie are sitting up the tables. Knives and forks, please, you two, she said to Ron and Harry, pointing her wand a little. More vigorously than she had intended, at a pile of potatoes in the sink, which shot out of their skins so fast they ricocheted off the walls and ceiling. Anjali, welcome. Hello to you. Oh, for heaven's sake! She snapped, now directing her wand at a dustpan, which hopped up off the sideboard and started skating across the floor, scooping up the potatoes. Those two! She burst out savagely, now pulling pots and pans out of a cupboard, and Harry knew she meant Fred and George. I don't know what's going to happen to them. I really don't. No ambition. Unless you can't make in as much trouble as they possibly can. Mrs. Weasley slammed a large copper saucepan down on the kitchen table and began to wave her wand around inside it. A creamy sauce poured from the tip as she stirred. It's not as though they haven't got brains, she continued irritably, taking the saucepan over to the stove and lighting it with a further poke of her wand. But they're wasting them! And unless they pull themselves together soon, they're going to be in real trouble. I've had more owls from Hogwarts about them than the rest put together. If they carry on the way that they are going, they're going to end up in front of the improper use of magic office. Mrs. Weasley jabbed her wand at the cutlery drawer, which shot open. Harry and Ron both jumped out of the way as several knives soared out of it, flew across the kitchen, and began chopping the potatoes, which had just been tipped back into the sink by the dustpan. I don't know where I went wrong with them, said Mrs. Weasley, putting down her wand and starting to pull out still more saucepans. It's been the same for years, one after another, and they won't listen to- Oh, no, not again! She had picked up her wand from the table, and it had emitted a loud squeak and turned into a giant rubber mouse. One of their fake ones again, she shouted. How many times have I told them not to leave them lying around? Excuse me. <laughs> she grabbed the real wand and turned around to find that the sauce on the stove was smoking. Come on, Ron said hurriedly to Harry, seizing a handful of cutlery from the open drawer. Let's go help Bill and Charlie. They left Mrs. Weasley and headed out the back door into the yard. They had only gone a few paces when Hermione's bandy-legged ginger cat, Crookshanks, came pelting out of the garden, bottle-brush tail held high in the air, chasing what looked like a muddy potato on legs. Harry recognized it instantly as a gnome. Barely ten inches high, its horny little feet pattering as fast as it could as it sprinted across the yard, and it dived headlong into one of the Wellington boots that lay scattered across the floor. Mm, excuse me. That lay scattered around the door. Here he could hear the gnome giggling madly as Crookshanks inserted a paw into the boot, trying to reach it. Meanwhile, a very loud crashing noise was coming from the other side of the house. The source of the commotion was revealed as they entered the garden, and saw that Bill and Charlie both had their wands out, and were making two battered old tables fly high above the lawn, smashing into each other, each attempting to knock the others out of the air. Fred and George were cheering, Ginny was laughing, and Hermione was hovering near the hedge, apparently torn between amusement and anxiety. 
Bill's table caught Charlie's with a full bang and knocked one of its legs off. There was a clatter from overhead, and they all looked up to see Percy's head poking out of a window on the second floor. "'Will you keep it down?' he bellowed. "'Sorry, Perce,' said Bill, grinning. "'How are the cauldron bottoms coming along?' "'Very badly,' said Percy peevishly, and he slammed the window shut. Chuckling, Bill and Charlie directed the table safely onto the grass, end to end, and then, with a flick of his wand, Bill reattached the table leg and conjured tablecloths from nowhere. By seven o'clock, the two tables were groaning under dishes and dishes of Mrs. Weasley's excellent cooking. And the nine Weasleys, Harry and Hermione, were settling themselves down to eat beneath a clear, deep blue sky. To somebody who had been living on meals of increasingly stale cake all summer, this was paradise. And at first, Harry listened rather than talked, as he helped himself to chicken and ham pie boiled potatoes, and salad. At the far end of the table, Percy was telling his father all about his, record on, his report on cauldron bottoms. "'I've told Mr. Crouch I'll have it ready by Tuesday,' Percy was saying pompously. "'It's a bit sooner than he'd expected it, but I like to keep on top of things. I think he'll be grateful I've done it in good time. I mean, it's extremely busy in our department just now, but with all the arrangements for the World Cup—' We're just not getting the support we need from the Department of Magical Games and Sports. Ludo Bagman. I like Ludo, said Mr. Weasley mildly. He was uh, one who got us such good tickets for the cup. I did him a bit of a favour. His brother, Otto, got into a spot of trouble. Lawnmower with unnatural powers. I smoothed the whole thing over. Oh, Bagman's likeable enough, of course said Percy dismissively, but how he ever came to be the head of the department when I compare him to Mr. Crouch. I can't see Mr. Crouch losing a member of our department and not trying to find out what's happened to them. You realise that Bertha Jokins has been missing for over a month now. Went on holiday to Albania, never came back. Yes, I was asking Ludo about that, said Mr. Weasley, frowning. He says Bertha's gotten lost plenty of times before now. Though I must say, if it was somebody in my department, I'd be worried. Oh, Bertha's hopeless, all right, said Percy. I hear she's been shunted from department to department for years. Much more trouble than she's worth, but at the same time, Bagman ought to be trying to find her. Mr. Crouch has been taking a personal interest. She worked in our department at one time, you know. I think Mr. Crouch was quite fond of her. But Bagman just keeps laughing and saying she probably misread the map, ended up in Australia instead of Albania. However, Percy heaved a massive sigh and took a deep swig of elderflower wine. <sighs> we got quite enough on our plates at the Department of International Magical Cooperation without trying to find members of other departments too. As you know, We've got another big event to organise right off to the World Cup. <coughs> Percy cleared his throat significantly and looked down toward the end of the table where Harry, Ron and Hermione were sitting. You know the one I'm talking about, Father. He raised his voice slightly. 
The top secret one? Ron rolled his eyes and muttered to Harry and Hermione. He's been trying to get us to ask what that event is ever since he started work. Probably an exhibition of thick-bottomed cauldrons. In the middle of the table, Mrs. Weasley was arguing with Bill about his earring, which seemed to be a recent acquisition. With a horrible great fang on it, really, Bill, what do they say at the bank? Mum, no one at the bank gives a damn how I dress as long as I bring home plenty of treasure, said Bill patiently. And your hair's getting silly, dear, said Mrs. Weasley, fingering her wand lovingly. I wish you'd let me give it a trim. I like it, said Ginny, who was sitting beside Bill. You're so old-fashioned, Mum. Anyway, it's nowhere near as long as Professor Dumbledore's. Next to Mrs. Weasley, Fred, George and Charlie were all, taking sp all talking spiritedly about the World Cup. It's got to be Ireland, said Charlie thickly through a mouthful of potato. They flattened Peru in the semi-finals. Bulgaria's got Victor Crumb, though said Fred. Crumb's one decent player. Ireland's got seven, said Charlie shortly. Wish England had got through. That was embarrassing, that was. What happened? said Harry eagerly, regretting more than ever his isolation from the world. Um, regretting more than ever his isolation from the wizarding world when he was stuck on Privet Drive. Went down to Transylvania. Three hundred ten... Three hundred and ninety to ten, said Charlie gloomily. Shocking performance. And Wales lost to Uganda. Scotland was slaughtered by Luxembourg. Harry had been on the Gryffindor House Quidditch team ever since his first year at Hogwarts, and owned one of the best racing brooms in the world, a Firebolt. Flying came more naturally to Harry than anything else in the magical world, and he played the position of seeker on the Gryffindor house team. Mr. Weasley conjured up candles to light the darkening garden before they had their homemade strawberry ice cream. By the time they had finished, moths were fluttering low over the table, and the warm air was perfumed with the smells of grass and honeysuckle. Harry was feeling extremely well-fed, and at peace with the world. He watched several gnomes sprinting through the rose bushes, laughing madly and closely pursued by Crookshanks. Ron looked carefully up the table to check that the rest of the family were all busy talking, and he said very quietly to Harry, So, have you heard from Sirius lately? Hermione looked around, listening closely. Yeah, said Harry softly. Twice. He sounds okay. I wrote to him yesterday. He might write me while I'm here. He suddenly remembered the reason he had written to Sirius, and for a moment he was on the verge of telling Ron and Hermione about his scar hurting again, and about the dream that had awoken him. But he didn't really want to worry them just now. Not when he himself was feeling so happy and peaceful. Oh, look at the time, Mrs. Weasley said suddenly, checking her wristwatch. You really should be in bed, the whole lot of you. You'll be up at the crack of dawn to get to the cup. 
Harry, if you leave your school list out, I'll get you things for you tomorrow in Diagon Alley. I'm getting everyone else's. There might not be time after the World Cup. The match went on for five days last time. Wow, I hope it does this time, said Harry enthusiastically. Well, I certainly don't, said Percy sanctimoniously. I shudder to think of the state of my inbox will be if I were away from work for five days. Yeah, someone might slip dragon dung in it again, eh, Purse? said Fred. That was a sample of fertiliser from Norway, said Percy, going very red in the face. It was nothing personal. It was, Fred whispered to Harry as they got up from the table. We sent it. That is the end of chapter five. Back to the library. Wonderful people, thank you so much for listening. We've got one more chapter tonight. Um, it's about as long as the first chapter we read, so fairly short. Um, but uh, I very much look forward to joining you back here. I'm going to take another quick five-minute intermission. I'll be back in just a moment. Uh, we'll chat a bit, give a quick summary of what we've read so far, and uh, then we'll be on to our final chapter of the night. Thank you so much for listening. Um, as always, I'm Sam. Welcome to uh, Harry Potter Out Loud and Sidecar Stories. I look forward to seeing you in just a moment. Got anything you want to talk about? Go ahead and put it in chat. Bye-bye. Hello, wonderful people, and welcome back to this, the final chapter of the night from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Now, uh, before we go, a couple of quick things. F again, if you'd like to skip this part, go ahead and skip forward until you don't see this screen anymore, but you've got the, uh, the chapter art. First off, um... I just wanted to uh, go ahead and tell you guys that we are working on some other projects right now. Um, I've got a group of friends that I'm working with, and so it's been an exciting time. Um, as you can see, some more stuff is popping up on the Sidecar Stories channel. Um, feel free to watch that. I will warn you that um, both of the other things there are rated uh, probably PG-13, that, that genre. Um, so if you were here for... Uh, Sidecar stories um, for, you know, the Out Loud series. Uh, Out Loud is always going to be um, PG rated. I'll say that much. Or whatever the book is, essentially. It'll match the book. Um, but, uh, yeah, we've got the the podcast. And it is sort of gaming, nerd stuff related. Um, I think you will enjoy it if you are... Uh, if you are somebody who enjoys board games or tabletop RPGs like Dungeons & Dragons, that sort of thing. Um, and then in that same vein, I am streaming some of my DM prep. Um, I'm running a campaign in a game called Stars Without Number. And so if you're ever interested in just watching a DM do their thing, um, technically it's GM in Stars Without Number because there are no dungeons because it's in space. Go ahead and watch those videos and those streams. Um, the podcast is mostly going to be uh, recorded here. Um, and the uh, GM prep, you'll have the VODs, but I'm also gonna be streaming midweek, so you guys can check those out. Um, it's gonna be pretty much afternoons out here, so um, if you're living in the middle or eastern parts of the US, then it's gonna be round about, um, think like five to 7 p.m. Um, 
So yeah. It's exciting times. I would like everyone to um, check out the Discord if that's something you're interested in. Um, I'm starting to sort of collect a number of the, the various projects that we're working on um, under essentially one name. And so I would love to have you guys in. We're planning on doing some live stuff. We, we might do the, the podcast live through Discord. So um, I invite you to go check that out. I'm going to put the link in the description for this video. Let me just do that right now. Um, actually, you know what? I'll do it at the end. But uh, thank you very much for joining me. Love to see you guys. One final update, and then we're going to review, then we're going to do the last chapter. Um, the egg. The Ukrainian iron belly egg. Um, I think this thing might be close. We've found a new apartment. We're going to be moving shortly, and I'm thinking it might hatch right around that same time. Um, as such, I might be away between the apartment and moving, um, and uh, you know, trying to help this little dragon baby hatch. I am not going to be streaming on uh, let's see, April seventh. So. Uh, next weekend I'll still be streaming the weekend after that I will not so I'll be here on the 31st but uh, on the 7th I'm gonna be busy doing all sorts of stuff but I think we're right on schedule and I'm very much looking forward to uh, introducing you guys to Ike if everything goes well Ike the Ukrainian iron belly it's gonna be exciting anyway quick review um, the first chapter we read tonight chapter 4 the Weasleys came to retrieve Harry from the uh, the Dursleys' house. It was chaos. Um, and uh, we learn a little bit why in the next chapter, chapter 5, which we just finished. Um, apparently, the Weasley twins, Fred and George, are pursuing something interesting. All of their, their prankster activities have been sort of culminating in something interesting. Weasleys, wizard wheezes. Um, it's essentially, it's a prank, um, a prank shop, uh, a, a joke shop. Um, they don't have a, a premises yet. They don't have a, an actual physical shop, but they're doing it kind of mail order. So if you know anybody who's done anything on Etsy or sold things on eBay, um, that would be kind of the modern day equivalent. It's an interesting thing. You know, you don't realize some of these things that after they've been working on it for so long, like Fred and George have putting so much time into all the pranking and everything that uh, might be a way to make a living off of it. Who knew? Um, Mrs. Weasley is, of course, furious because they're leaving joke stuff all around the house. And um, in this chapter, there's just a long, relaxed discussion as they have sort of a dinner party out in the Weasley's backyard. Just about uh, things revolving around uh, the Ministry of Magic, about the Quidditch World Cup, and interestingly, uh, Percy Weasley, who works at the ministry, mentioned Bertha Jorkins. If you guys remember from my summary at the beginning, that was the woman who went missing. Um, that apparently got caught up by Voldemort. But we don't know that yet. Quick shout out. Um, 
Miranda Macklemore, Gracia Sean or Gracia Sean, Rose Baker, um, Bowling for Soup. I think we already covered that one. And uh, yeah, all the new listeners. Thank you so much. It's been interesting. The channel's been growing. And I'm very excited about it. So keep coming here. We got more and more content coming out. And uh, I very much look forward to uh, reading to you all over the next chapter here. So if you are ready, go ahead and put any comments, questions, concerns in the chat. Love to talk about it. Let's go. Chapter six, the port key. Harry felt as though he had barely lain down to sleep in Ron's room when he was being shaken awake by Mrs. Weasley. Time to go, Harry dear, she whispered, moving away to wake Ron. <sighs> Harry felt around for his glasses, put them on, and sat up. It was still dark outside. Ron muttered indistinctly as his mother roused him. At the foot of Harry's mattress, he saw two large, disheveled shapes emerging from the tangle of blankets. "'It's time already?' said Fred groggily. They dressed in silence, too sleepy to talk. Then, yawning and stretching, the four of them headed downstairs into the kitchen. Mrs. Weasley was stirring the contents of a large pot on the stove, while Mr. Weasley was sitting at the table, checking a sheaf of large parchment tickets. He looked up as the boys entered and spread his arms so they could see his clothes more clearly. He was wearing what appeared to be a golfing sweater and a very old pair of jeans, slightly too big for him, and held up with a thick leather belt. "'What do you think?' he asked anxiously. "'We're supposed to be going incognito.' Do I look like a muggle, Harry? Yeah, said Harry, smiling. Very good. Where's Bill and Charlie and Percy? said George, failing to stifle a huge yawn. Oh, Gracia, or Gracia, I'd love to know how to pronounce your name. Ms. Sean. Hi, just wanted to say I'm a little late. Who's kidding I'm late? Just saying keep up the good work. Thank you very much. I appreciate you checking in, and uh, I'm glad you're listening. Hope you're having a great week. Well, they're apparating, aren't they? said Mrs. Weasley, heaving the large pot over to the table and starting to ladle porridge into bowls. So they can have a bit of a lie-in. Harry knew that apparating meant disappearing from one place and reappearing almost instantly in another but had never known any Hogwarts student to do it, and understood that it was very difficult. "'So they're still in bed?' said Fred grumpily, pulling his bowl of porridge toward him. "'Why can't we operate too?' "'Because you're not of age and you haven't passed your test,' snapped Mrs. Weasley. "'Where have those girls got to?' She bustled out of the kitchen and they heard her climbing the stairs. You have to pass a test to operate? Harry asked. Oh, yes, said Mr. Weasley, tucking the ticket safely into the back pocket of his jeans. The Department of Magical Transportation had to fine a couple of people the other day for operating without a license. 
It's not easy, apparition. And when it's not done properly, it can lead to nasty complications. This pair that I'm talking about went and splinched themselves. Everyone around the table except Harry winced. Uh, splinched? said Harry. They left half themselves behind, said Mr. Weasley, now spooning large amounts of treacle into his porridge. So, of course, they were stuck. Couldn't move either way. Had to wait for the accidental magical reversal squad to sort them out. It meant a fair old bit of paperwork, I can tell you that. What with the muggles who spotted the body parts they'd left behind. Harry had a sudden vision of a pair of legs and an eyeball lying abandoned on the pavement of Privet Drive. Were they okay? he asked, startled. Oh, yes, said Mr. Weasley, matter-of-factly. But they got a heavy fine, and I don't think they'll be trying it again in a hurry. You don't mess around with apparition. There are plenty of adult wizards who don't bother with it. Prefer brooms. Slower, but safer. But Bill and Charlie and Percy can all do it. Charlie had to take the test twice, said Fred, grinning. He failed the first time. Apparated five miles south of where he meant to, right on top of some poor old dear doing her shopping, remember? Yes, well, he passed the second time, said Mrs. Weasley, marching back into the kitchen amid hearty sniggers. Percy only passed two weeks ago, said George. He's been apparating downstairs every morning since, just to prove he can. There were footsteps down the passageway, and Hermione and Ginny came into the kitchen both looking pale and drowsy. Why do we have to be up so early? Ginny said, rubbing her eyes and sitting down at the table. We've got a bit of a walk, said Mr. Weasley. Walk? said Harry. What? Are we walking to the World Cup? No, no, that's miles away, said Mr. Weasley, smiling. We only need to walk a short way. It's just that it's very difficult for a large number of wizards to congregate without attracting muggle attention. We have to be very careful about how we travel at the best of times, and on a huge occasion like the Quidditch World Cup. George! said Mrs. Weasley sharply, and they all jumped. What? said George, in an innocent tone that deceived nobody. What's that in your pocket? Nothing. Don't you lie to me! Mrs. Weasley pointed her wand at George's pocket and said, Akio! Several small, brightly coloured objects zoomed out of George's pocket. She made a grab for them but missed, and they sped right into Mrs. Weasley's... Oh, excuse me. He made a grab for them but missed, and they sped right into Mrs. Weasley's outstretched hand. We told you to destroy them, said Mrs. Weasley furiously, holding up what were unmistakably more... Tun-tong toffees. We're told you get rid of the lot. Empty out your pockets. Go on now, both of you. It was an unpleasant scene. The twins had evidently been trying to smuggle as many toffees out of the house as possible, and it was only by using her summoning charm that Mrs. Weasley managed to find them all. Akio! 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 She shouted, and toffees zoomed from all sorts of unlikely places 
including the lining of George's jacket and the turn-ups of Fred's jeans. We spent six months developing those, Fred shouted at his mother as she threw the toffees away. Oh, a fine way to spend six months, she shrieked. No wonder you didn't get more OWLs. All in all, the atmosphere was not very friendly as they took their departure. Mrs. Weasley was still glowering as she kissed Mr. Weasley on the cheek, though not nearly as much as the twins, who had each hoisted their rucksacks onto their backs and walked out without a word to her. "'Well, have a lovely time,' said Mrs. Weasley. "'And behave yourselves!' she called after the twins' as repeating... She called after the twins' retreating backs. But they did not look back or answer. I'll send Bill, Charlie, and Percy along about midday, Mrs. Weasley said to Mr. Weasley, as he, Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Ginny set off across the dark yard after Fred and George. It was chilly, and the moon was still out. Only a dull greenish tinge along the, along the horizon to their right showed that daybreak was drawing closer. Harry having been thinking about thousands of wizards speeding toward the Quidditch World Cup, sped up to walk with Mr. Weasley. So how does everyone get there without all the muggles noticing? he asked. It's been a massive organizational problem, sighed Mr. Weasley. Trouble is, about a hundred thousand wizards turn up at the World Cup, and of course we just haven't got a magical site big enough to accommodate them all. There are places that muggles can't penetrate, but imagine having to pack a hundred thousand wizards into Diagon Alley, a platform nine and three quarters. So, we had to find a nice deserted moor, and set up as many anti-muggle precautions as possible. The whole ministry's been working on it for months. First, of course, we have to stagger the arrivals. People with cheaper tickets have to arrive two weeks beforehand. A limited number use muggle transport, but we can't have too many clogging up their buses and trains. Remember, wizards are coming from all over the world. Some apparate, of course, but we have to set up safe points for them to appear. Well away from muggles. I believe there's a handy wood they're using as the apparition point. For those who don't want to apparate, or can't, we use port keys. They're objects that are used to transport wizards from one spot to another at a prearranged time. You can do large groups at a time if you need to. There have been 200 portkeys placed at strategic points around Britain, and the one nearest us is up at the top of Stutzhead Hill, so that's where we're headed. Mr. Weasley pointed ahead of them, where a large black mass rose beyond the village of Ottery St. Catchpole. What sort of objects are portkeys? Said Harry Car said Harry curiously. Well, they can be anything, said Mr. Weasley. Uh, unobtrusive things, obviously, so muggles don't go picking them up and playing with them. Stuff that they'll think is just litter. They trudged down the dark, dank lane toward the village, the silence broken only by their footsteps. The sky lightened very slowly as they made their way through the village, its inky blackness diluting to deepest blue. Harry's hands and feet were freezing. 
Mr. Weasley kept checking his watch. They didn't have breath to spare for talking as they began to climb Stoat's Head Hill, stumbling occasionally on hidden rabbit holes, slipping on thick black tuffets of grass. Each breath Harry took was sharp in his chest, and his legs were starting to seize up when, at last, his feet found level ground. Oh, whew, panted Mr. Weasley, taking off his glasses and wiping them on his sweater. Oh, well, we made good time. We got ten minutes. Hermione came over the crest of the hill, uh, last, clutching a stitch in her side. Now we just need the port key, said Mr. Weasley, replacing his glasses and squinting around at the ground. It won't be big. Come on. They spread out, searching. They had only been at it for a couple of minutes, however, when a shout rent the still air. Let's see, what voice does he have? Over! No, no, that's Ludo Bagman. No, 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 no. Over here, Arthur! Over here, son! We've got it! Two tall figures were silhouetted against the starry sky on the other side of the hilltop. Amos, said Mr. Weasley, smiling as he strode over to the man who had shouted. The rest of them followed. Mr. Weasley was shaking hands with a ruddy-faced wizard with a scrubby brown beard, who was holding a moldy-looking old boot in his other hand. This is Amos Diggory, everyone, said Mr. Weasley. He works for the Department of Regulation and Control of Magical Creatures. And I think you know his son, Cedric? Cedric Diggory was an extremely handsome boy of around seventeen. He was captain and seeker of the Hufflepuff House Quidditch team at Hogwarts. Hi, said Cedric, looking around at them all. Everybody said hi back, except Fred and George, who merely nodded. They'd never quite forgiven Cedric for beating their team, Gryffindor, in the first Quidditch match of the previous year. "'Long walk, Arthur?' Cedric's father asked. Uh, "'Not too bad,' said Mr. Weasley. "'We live just on the other side of the village there. "'You?' "'Had to get up at two, didn't we, Ced? "'I'll tell you I'll be glad when there's got this apparition test over with. Uh, "'Still not complaining. "'Quidditch World Cup wouldn't miss it for a sackful of galleons. "'And the tickets cost about that. "'Mind you, I look like I got off easy.' Amos Diggory peered good-naturedly around at the three Weasley boys, Harry, Hermione, and Ginny. "'Are all these yours, Arthur?' "'No, no, only the redheads,' said Mr. Weasley, pointing out his children. "'This is Hermione, friend of Ron's, and Harry, another friend.' "'Merlin's beard,' said Amos Diggory, his eyes widening. "'Harry? Harry Potter?' Um, yeah, said Harry. Harry was used to people looking curiously at him when they met him. Used to the way that their eyes moved at once to the lightning scar on his forehead, but it always made him uncomfortable. Seth's talked about you, of course, said Amos Diggory. Told us all about playing against you last year. I said to him, Said, that'll be something to tell your grandchildren you will. You beat Harry Potter. Harry couldn't think of any reply to this, so he remained silent. Fred and George were both scowling again, 
Cedric looked slightly embarrassed. Harry fell off his broom, Dad, he muttered. I told you, it was an accident. Yes, but you didn't fall off your broom, did you? Roared Amos genially, slapping his son on his back. Always, Morris Dow said, always the gentleman. But the best man won, as I'm sure you'd say the same, Harry, wouldn't you? One falls off his broom, one stays on. You don't need a genius to tell you which one's the better flyer. It must be nearly time, said Mr. Weasley quickly, pulling out his watch again. Do you know whether we're waiting for any more, Amos? Heather, welcome. No, the Lovegoods have been here for a week already, and the Fawcett's couldn't get tickets, said Mr. Weas Mr. Diggory. There aren't any more of us in the area, are there? Not that I know of, said Mr. Weasley. Yes, it's a minute off. We'd better get ready. He looked around at Harry and Hermione. You just need to touch the port key, that's all. A finger will do. With difficulty, owing to their bulky backpacks, the nine of them crowded around the old boot held by Amos Diggory. They all stood there in a tight circle as a chill breeze swept over the hilltop. Nobody spoke. It suddenly occurred to Harry how odd this would look if a muggle were to walk up here on them now. Nine people, two of them grown men, clutching this manky old boot in the semi-darkness, waiting. Three, muttered Mr. Weasley, one eye on his watch. Two, one. It happened immediately. Harry felt as though a hook just behind his navel had been suddenly jerked irresistibly forward. His feet left the ground. He could feel Ron and Hermione on either side of him, their shoulders banging into his. They were all speeding forward in a howl of wind and swirling air. His forefinger was stuck on the boot as though it were pulling him magnetically onward. And then... His feet slammed into the ground. Ron staggered into him and he fell over. The portkey hit the ground near his head with a heavy thud. Harry looked up. Mr. Weasley, Mr. Diggory, and Cedric were still standing, though looking very windswept. Everybody else was on the ground. Seven past five from Stoatshead Hill, said a voice. that's the end of the chapter Heather sorry you jumped in uh, toward the end there everyone think wait a second hold on hold on do I look a little bit like Amos Diggory in this picture how much do I look like Amos Diggory answer me honestly <laughs> you don't have to but I think there's a bit of resemblance right hold on let me just let me get what do you think here? I can't see without my glasses, but uh, yeah, that's a real strange smile he's given. <laughs> Maybe a little, a little resemblance. My hair's not as neat as his, for sure. <sighs> it's been a wonderful time. Thank you all for joining me. Let's go back to the library. Um, if you've got anything you'd like to talk about from the chapter, go ahead and put it in chat. And meanwhile, I'm just going to go ahead and 
remind you once more for the last time tonight. Um, got some more interesting things coming up. Keep an eye on um, the channel here. Keep an eye on... Uh, we're going to have sidecar stories. Um, and within that channel, it's, it's going to be the Out Loud series, which is what we do here every week. The, uh, the story streams. Uh, and additionally, uh, some nerdy stuff. Not related to Harry Potter. Not related to reading. But uh, some stuff you might like. Nonetheless, if you're interested in uh, role-playing games like D&D or uh, the one that we're playing now, which is called Stars Without Number. And uh, so, yeah, one of them is a podcast that is uh, currently Zone of Truth. We're fiddling around with the name. We're wondering where we're going to end up with it. Not quite sure yet. So Zone of Truth and then Rain on Neon is the, uh, the Stars Without Number series. I'm going to be doing mostly GM prep, uh, but it's possible. I would really like to record some of our sessions and uh, put them up so you guys can hear it. I haven't asked my players yet, and it's very important to get their consent on that sort of thing. So we shall see about that. But um, if you want more information, I am starting up a Discord. Uh, I'll put the link in the description for this video and for our upcoming videos, and I'll put it in the channel description as well. Um, but... Thank you very much for watching. I hope you have a fantastic night. Uh, Heather, Gracia, Anjali, anybody who's still here. And uh, of course, Rachel, even though she's not here tonight. Um, I hope you have a fantastic week. I'll see you next week. For the last one before my new apartment. Ah, good night. <laughs>